Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name is Bart van Olfen, and my latest cookbook is the Tint Fish Cookbook. For more Cookery by the Book, you can follow me on Instagram. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. I'm always looking for new people to enjoy Cookery by the Book. Now on with the quarantine question round. Where are you living? I live in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. What restaurant are you dreaming of going to after the quarantine? Well, I have one very favorite restaurant here in Amsterdam, which is uh, called Caron, Café Caron. It's French cuisine, bistro, traditional, but really, really good. When do you think they'll be opening up? Well, they're speaking now opening terraces from the 1st of June. Uh, so, yeah, in a couple of weeks from now, um, opening the whole restaurant is, is another thing. Not sure yet. Oh, June's not far off, though. You're so lucky. No, no, it's true. It's like three, yeah, three weeks now. Yeah, three. It's now sixth of May. Yeah, it's it's something what they think they will announce tonight on the evening news. So yeah, exciting. Not just for me to eat food, but I mean, all those entrepreneurs, all these small restaurants and bars, they they need to, right? They they will be bankrupt uh, if not. So uh, we need to support them. Yes. What dish is getting you through this time? Um, well, the positive part of, of this, uh, of this era of this, of these weeks is that you certainly have a lot of time to cook, right? To do, to do groceries. So, um, yeah, I cook a lot with my kids. Um, and one of the things, and it sounds a bit like maybe posh or luxurious, but uh, they just opened the lobster season here in the Netherlands. So, um, we had like a classic lobster hollandaise yesterday with, uh, fresh asparagus, which are in season right now too. So, yeah, um, it's not the thing I eat every day, but uh, it was fun and was really good. So let's talk about your cookbook. After years in the restaurant business in France and the Netherlands, you learned that every fish had a story and traveled the world to live, to cook, and to fish together with the most amazing sustainable fishing communities. In 2008, you were named the world's most sustainable seafood entrepreneur. Can we first talk about taking care of the oceans? Um, actually, how, how I became aware was in, I think it was 2002, maybe a year later, when I opened my fishmongers in Amsterdam. And actually, I, I, opened, I opened the fishmongers because I worked in Paris and I've, I saw so many different species and they're all lovely, and they had amazing stories when the fish monk, uh, when the fish supplier came in. So I thought, okay, I bring these stories, I bring this fish into Amsterdam, open my fish counter, my fishmongers, and then someone of the WWF came in and uh, told me, "Are you aware of the fact that like 80% of our oceans are overfished?" And that sounded really unlogical to me. Um, uh, what I, my impression always was like all these small, beauty, beautiful fishing boats entering the ports in Spain and, and you ate like next to it on the terrace, a fresh piece of fish. But that's not the case. And um, from that moment, also what I realized is that, that, that seafood is the only food we still massively consume out of the wild. It's, it's the nature what gives us this, this delicious fish. So we need to listen to our oceans. And that was actually the moment that I 
started to travel and to in the search for these sustainable fishing people, these communities. Yeah, so we need to be, be aware over 80% of our oceans are overfished or fished to the limit. We only can consume uh, out of 20% of, our, of them uh, currently. So um, yeah, that's a sad story. What was your favorite fishing community that you visited? What, what I found the most fascinating ones are often the ones in developing countries. They need to fish to, to live, right? It's, it's not that commercial, commercially driven in the way we do it here, uh, for example, in the U.S. or, or, or here in Europe. Um, where we trade fish, there people need to fish for for living. Um, so I've got two amazing ones. Ones I can mention. One is Maldives. It's the only country in the world where they only fish for tuna by pull online. Um, small atolls, which are islands in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and they go out fishing on a dhoni, which is the typical traditional local name for a tuna boat, and they catch the tuna one by one. It's amazing. Another one is in your country, uh, in Alaska, at the Yukon River. Um, it's a really remote fishing community uh, in Imanak, the Yupik community, and they, they catch the most delicious salmon of the world. Um, but if you're there, it's you... Yeah, you, you end up in a community of like 900, 1,000 people, and it's all about fishing, and um, they live by subsistence for the rest of the year. Um, so it brings you back with two feet on the ground. This is how we would say it in Dutch. Fishing for living, for eating, but we should not overfish, because if we overfish, we won't have any fish left, left by, by tomorrow. Were these recipes in the cookbook inspired by dishes you ate in fishing communities? Absolutely, some of them. Well, the great thing about cooking tinned seafood is it's we're not suddenly cooking different species, right? So we cooking tuna, we cooking salmon, we cook sardines and anchovies. It's it's the it's a similar fish. Then when I cooked it in my three star Michelin restaurant in Paris, the difference is that the fish is already cooked for you. So cooking tinned fish is more a mindset change than suddenly cook a totally different thing. So what I wanted to say is that what I cooked in the in the Michelin starred restaurants, uh, you can translate it into a dish made of tin seafood. When you travel, often people ask me, "What is your favorite fish dish?" I cannot t- tell you the right answer because every time when you travel somewhere else, it's the surroundings, it's the way how they cook, how we interact, it gives the dish so much more value, so much more flavor, maybe more from a romantic point of view than the ingredients. One example, mazuni. So I. I just explained to you about the Maldives. Maldivians are the most heavy seafood consumers in the world. They eat like 150 kilograms per year, which is a lot. If you go there and, you, and you're on a local island, you'll have lunch, uh, uh, breakfast, dinner. It's all fish, fish, fish. But it's also all tuna, tuna, tuna. And then the national dish is called mas uni, which means fish and coconut. And actually what they do, they squeeze uh, uh, red onion and chili and curry leaves together with some lime juice and salt. They really massage it and squeeze it. And then they add like fresh coconut. Uh, grated coconut and tuna, like grated tuna. It's like tuna in a tin. And uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So this is typically a local dish, but you also will find other dishes like a classic tuna melt or um, stuffed paprika. So when I travel, I take the recipes back home. It's amazing what you can learn from local communities. Okay, you just mentioned your Michelin star restaurant, and I read something. Tell me if this is true. When you were a young child, it was your dream to work at a Michelin three-star restaurant? I was collecting Michelin guides already when I was six. So I've got like... (laughs) 
60 different guys. The, the first one I've got is 1908. Yeah. Oh my um, God. And there was a chef called Roger Faget um, in Moulin de Mougin, which is in the in the south of France. And um, he had this fence in front of his kitchen. I asked my mom when I was eight years old, could you please drive to that fence? And, and I was just standing there looking into the kitchen uh, of a 20, 30 meter distance just to observe how these chefs are, were working. So ever since I was my dream to work in, uh, in, in gastronomy, and uh, I loved it. I mean, but those were the years, Bocuse and Michel Guerard and, 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 and all these big uh, Sandrans where I worked in Paris. So more the classic ones. It, it has changed, but, but it was a dream since I was six, seven years old. Yes, definitely. You know what my favorite thing is about tinned fish? You don't have to descale or get rid of the guts or clean them. Cooking tinned seafood is is a really easy, fun thing to do, affordable. But one of the things is that you start at the point that the fish is, fish is already cooked for you. So when you open this tin, you see maybe a bit of a um, pale, non-colored piece of fish. Um, texture is soft. But having these two things in mind, you can create this amazing fish dish without gutting or filleting. You just add like a bit of structure, like a bit of lettuce, um, uh, some colors, some, some, some acidity, yeah, some, some sourness. With a few steps, you can create something really, really well without actually cooking the fish itself. But also you can use the fish cooking, but always add it at the end of the recipe. That's something uh, often when we cook fish, fresh fish, you would start with the fish together maybe with the veggies and, and then uh, end up with the whole dish. With tinned fish, don't think about cooking the fish. It's just adding the fish at the latest point. So when making a pasta puttanesca, for example, of course, you give this flavor of the anchovies to the sauce. But at the very end, you only add the, the, the tuna. There's nothing more easy than cooking tinned fish. You wrote in the cookbook, walk into a random supermarket in Southern Europe and you'll be amazed by the extensive selection of tinned fish products. Now, with the advent of COVID-19 and food shortages, do you think Americans will see more jarred or canned fish on the grocery store shelves? I hope so. I hope yeah. so. I, I really compare the U.S. to what the Netherlands was like four or five years ago when I started this, um, this challenge, actually. I, I often visited like Southern European countries like Portugal and Spain and France. And it was amazing to see what kind of seafood in a tin they sold. It was the highest quality. Like if you buy like a fentresca de atun, which is the, the belly part, you need to ask a key at the cash desk to open this little box to get this tin of 20, 30 euros, dollars out of that box uh, to take home with you. So it has a much more higher quality perception in these countries. Why? Because they know how to treat fish in a tin. So what happened in the Netherlands, but also in the US, is that the cheaper, the better. We always seen this product as a secondary product. Um, you Americans, the number one seafood product sold in the country is a, is a tin of tuna. Well, in most of the cases, to be honest, it's not it's not a good product. So we need to appreciate better quality. We need to be ready to pay maybe a little bit more for it. Maybe a tin of $1.50 will be $1.60. First, because we need to make a choice for a sustainable product. But secondly, also for the quality. And if you have a right quality product, you can make amazing fish dishes. But there is a way to go. And I think it go, can go quite quickly. But you need to be aware of the fact there is good quality and bad quality. If you cook with a bad quality tin of sardines, you would never do it again. If you would cook with a 
fantastic tin of sardines, you would eat it every day. In the cookbook, you cover tuna, salmon, anchovies, sardines, mackerel, herring. And then you have an interesting sort of extras chapter that includes cod liver. Can you tell us about cod liver? If you would have asked me what is your favorite dish out of a tin, I would say cod liver. Really? It's fantastic. It's so oily. It's it's how... How you would, in the past, I'm not eating that anymore for animal welfare, but if, if you would like eat a foie gras, uh, goose liver, you would treat it the same way. So you would add like a bit of sweetness to, to balance that very oily flavor. It's, it's fantastic. It's so flavorful and it's really nutritious. It's, it's, it's so healthy. I mean, um, forget your uh, fish oil capsules. Just eat a tin of cod liver every week and you're, you're done. It's fantastic. Um, the structure is amazing. The flavor is amazing. It's it's different. Yeah, I don't know how to say. Just give it a try. It's not in my cookbook, but but one of the dishes I cook already for years is to serve it in a bit of reduced orange juice, and you serve it with some sesame oil, maybe some pink peppercorns, um, and that's it on toast. It's fantastic. You you really should give it a try. And uh, the recipe I made in the book was uh, with a miso and herring. I learned to, uh, how to make a miso and cod liver paste from a fantastic Japanese chef in Shiogama, which is around two hours from Tokyo. And this gentleman was 86 years old, and he, he told me how to do it. And that, that's the recipe in the book. It's, uh, it's fantastic. I'd love to go over a day's worth of tin fish with you. So what would you suggest for breakfast and then lunch and dinner? Okay, for breakfast, it's an omelet. So I made a, a scrambled eggs and salmon on toast, and you have lovely salmon in the U.S. Well, that's one other thing, Susie, I need to make you aware of. Okay, 52% of the world fish consumption is farmed from farm sources. If you go to the shelf in a supermarket of tinned fish, 100% is wild. And um, you won't find it in the frozen category, or you won't fi- find it in the fresh, but you will find it in the tin division. It's all wild, and wild, in my opinion, tastes always better. And you have fantastic wild salmon. So that's the reason I serve you a breakfast uh, of scrambled eggs and salmon on toast. And then I take you from there for lunch to the Maldives. I've explained it already to you. Mazuni. Everyone should try Mazuni. It's the new generation of tuna spreads, but no oil. So it's healthy and full of flavor. You, you taste the tuna, you taste this coconut. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And then when we go to dinner, like how, how often do we make curries? The good thing about making a curry is you slowly cook the fish in the curry. So the reason why it won't dry out. Tin fish is a great substitute for fresh fish in a curry, for example. Or I'll make you a pasta puttanesca. It's one of my favorites. It's obvious one, but to make a good pasta puttanesca um, is one of my very, very favorites too. Because every ingredient almost in this dish is out of your pantry. So you have your canned tomatoes, you have your canned tuna, you have your canned anchovies, you have your uh, capers in a jar. Um, you have your your dried pasta. So um, one can survive with the pasta puttanesca. Yesterday, I made your recipe for sardine hummus on page 92. Can you describe this recipe? Well, easy. It's it's making uh, uh, it's creating like a hummus, of course, with chickpeas, and you uh, add the tahini and 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 the clove and the lemon, parsley, a bit of spiciness, maybe some chili flakes, uh, Tabasco if you like, and then you add the fish because the, that this in this case these 
oiled sardines. They already give so much taste. So you just have these on top and you eat it together. So it's, a, it's like a classic, maybe a bit my way of hummus uh, with sardines on top. So now for my segment called My Favorite Cookbook. What is your all-time favorite cookbook and why? Well, my very favorite, but it's more from a designer's perspective, is the, the book of Salvador Dali, Le Diner de Gala. And he, he always wanted to be a chef, but he didn't succeed, succeed to, uh, to enter the cookery school. So he became like an artist, or maybe he was already at that time. Of course, you're born as an artist, in my opinion. But then uh, his dream was to still to make a cookbook. So in 1972, he made a cookbook for his wife, for Gala, and it's called Le Diner de Gala. And it's amazing. It's over the top. It's over the top. If you see the image, uh, images, it's, it's 70s, but in the 70s already, over the top. Yeah. Um, so that's from a designer's perspective, how it looks like. It's a coffee table. I can dream with that book, right? But I won't choose a recipe out of it. Julia Child, especially also in your country, made people happy to cook. And let people realize that cooking is not difficult at all. And it's fun to do. So I think from a mental point of view, she made uh, people really happy. And it opened many doors, I think, to, uh, to how, we, uh, how we would eat today. She was, uh, was a revolution, I think. Yeah, and I, I, if I look at YouTube and I see her in uh, on television in black and white, even in black and white, the dishes are amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Well, um, you can find me. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel, which is called Bart's Fishtails. Um, here I travel. You see a lot of my travels, cooking together with the local communities. Obviously, these months it's not happening. Um, and I cook in my studio in Amsterdam. And the objective is to show people that cooking fish is not difficult at all. In only a few steps, you can create an amazing fish dish. And a similar thing I do in Instagram. Funny thing is, five years ago, I started on Instagram with the shortest cooking show on earth was a 15 seconds uh, cooking show uh, when Instagram still had a limit of 15 seconds in video. Now it has one minute. And on my Instagram, also on Bart's Fishtails, I share my stories and my recipes and all you need to know uh, about seafood, sustainable seafood. Well, thanks, Bart, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast cookery by the book.